How many times have you thought about something that you'd really love to do? Maybe learn to paint, play guitar, get a motorcycle, something you've never done because you think in the back of your mind it'd be nice, but eh, it's probably too late for me. Well, folks, you are not too old, and it is never too late. In fact, now... Now is the perfect time to start growing bolder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and we're going to help you get fired up to do it. If not now, when, everybody? Uh, and, Bill, we're not just going to do it by ourselves. As usual, we got a few guys and gals to help us today. One is country music legend Clint Black. He's released about a dozen studio albums. He has over 20 number one hit singles, and he's going to tell us how he finally got up the nerve to host his own television talk show. And if that's not enough, we're going to hear from the greatest female athlete alive today who is over the age of 85. We'll ask her about not even starting until she was pushing 60. And then you'll meet one of the last survivors of the attack on Pearl Harbor. He's 102 years old, and he loves keeping up with technology. Ordinary people, extraordinary lives. This is Growing Bolder. Welcome back to Growing Boulder. I'm Bill Schaefer, and our next guest is an actor, a movie producer, and a record producer. But you know him best as a Grammy Award-winning country singer-songwriter because he is awesome. A dozen studio albums, 22 number one hit singles, countless awards. He's just wrapped up the Hits and the Misses tour, and it's been so much fun to see him touring with his wife and daughter, who are extremely talented. And now he's just about to launch out on a solo tour. He's also the host of a fantastic interview show, just about to start a new season called Talking Circles, which you can find on Circle TV. Let's say hi to the man, the legend, Mr. Clint Black. Clint, how you doing? Bill, I'm going to try to live up to that introduction. Hang on, let me take a shot of coffee here. Okay. Now, are you are you feeling are you feeling it now? <laughs> I, I'm 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 feeling every bit of everything you said about me. I got to tell you, I watch your show on on Roku. I get it on on my Roku and Talking Circles. How are you liking it? Because you you are so comfortable on the interview chair, which is pretty rare because of all the time you've spent on the other side of the mic. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. You know, just saying that reminded me that I guest hosted on uh, Nashville Now, which is kind of a country's version of The Tonight Show. Uh, a couple of times, and I loved it so much. I hadn't thought of that in years. I think it was like a 90-minute show, and it flew by. And I'm just thinking, I, let's do more of this. But it wasn't until 2020 when the lockdowns couldn't go on tour. And I said, you know, let's get a Zoom call and pitch a show idea to Circle. And they, they bought it right away. And And then the nerves, oh, no, what have I done, you know? And so every time we, we book a season and get all of our guests lined up, then I start to feel a little pressure. I want to prepare. I want to be relaxed. And and uh, I think preparation is the key. If you do the preparation, then you can just relax and have fun. And we have a live audience, which really makes it fun because we can tell when we're funny. 
You know what else, Clint? Though it's it's not just preparation. I, and, and take it from me, I've I've done a lot of these, and and the biggest factor is you have to actually be curious and interested in other people. And you you really have that gift. I'm really able to fake that. You know, <laughs> right. I've, I've been able to fake interest. With the best of them. That's it, Clint. I'll give you a couple of hints here. To be successful, you need to be honest and you need to be sincere. And the sooner you learn to fake that, the better off you are. George Burns. I love that quote. I've used that many times. You fake that, you've got it made. Actually, one of the things that that I have to resist when, when I'm doing the show is interjecting. I have to sit back and listen. And wait for those moments where I can jump in and say something. And that's really where the gold is, is to let people go, let them talk, and they'll, they'll find their way if the, if into the gold, the golden moments. It, it really is. You'll hit the nail on the head, and you'll hear me accidentally interrupt you about ten times in this interview alone. One of the other things I wanted to talk to you about, just because you're, you're a guy with such a great perspective, you've hit a big milestone. I, I believe you're you're 61 now. We're about the same age, and on Growing Boulder, we talk about how, you know, at age, we grew up with this stereotype that it was a time of decline and a time of loss. You're as creative and energetic as ever, at least you seem you are, you're trying new things, and you really seem to be living in the present. What is your attitude towards aging? I haven't gotten as good as I want to be yet. And so I practice guitar so much. If you knew how much I practice on my guitar, you'd expect more from it. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, I'm just not, I'm not where I want to be. and And so... I look at all those uh, artists who are all older than me, and and I draw inspiration and hope from them that I I haven't I haven't hit the uh, the top of the hill yet, I'm not on the other side going down the hill. I'm still climbing, and still getting better, and still have so much I want to do creatively, and the opportunities are there. I can't understand when I see people retiring. Uh, they're they're retiring, and and I think you know somebody asked Willie Nelson, "Are you ever going to retire?" And he said, "From what?" <laughs> and, and that's that that's not just about being a musician. That's about doing something that you love to do yourself. And it's yeah. about, man, can you, Clinton, who would take off and and tour with their wife and their daughter and live to tell the tale? It has to be a very secure group of people, people that really care about each other. Lisa Hartman, she's she's amazing. She's so talented. And your daughter, Lily, yeah. I mean, Lily's uh, getting ready to do her own thing, I know. You, you had the best name in the world, mostly yeah. hits in the Mrs. Tour. How how was it to work with your wife and your daughter like that? It was fantastic. Lily, uh, Lily Pearl Black, she has her own EP out now on Spotify and Apple and all that. So you want to uh, check that out. She and Lisa, they have about five wardrobe changes each. You know, I wear the same thing. I roll up my sleeves. That's my wardrobe change. <laughs> but those two are just bringing the glitter and the glam, you know. And uh, I think I wear basically the same kind of, you know, Levi's denim shirt every night. <laughs> I don't, you know, to me it's about, can I play my guitar well? 
But uh, those two, you know, they're working hard out there and seem great. And the only downside is, is that on the days off out on the tour, I get dragged to Target. And I don't know who to complain to about it. And they won't listen. <laughs> but that's not my idea of uh, enjoying a day off on the road. So uh, the, the best part is, I'm not homesick. You know, they're out there with me, and, and uh, I love it. And, and how cool, yeah, I mean, you've got to enjoy so much being a parent. I know Lily, you know, early 20s, recently out looking for an apartment of her very own in Nashville. How'd that go? Well, that went uh, very uh, unexpectedly. Uh, we we get to the place and uh, we find out the uh, apartment number, and I look at Lisa and I say, you know, I think this is where we lived. Well, 30 years earlier, Lisa and I had moved into Nashville from a place way up north of town that was just too far away. We got this apartment, and uh, now Lily's living there 30 years later. Wait, wait a minute. The same apartment complex, right? The same unit. The same unit where I wrote Like the Rain, oh. watching it rain, looking out the window she looks out of now. Clint, that's incredible, and that just kind of happened. Yeah. It just happened, and, and we couldn't have planned it. And it was the only unit available uh, in the apartments. That, that's incredible. I, I, I think... Those sort of things kind of happen when you're in sync with life. And your your songs are so relevant to where we are all today in life. Even one of my favorites, A Change in the Air, which I think you wrote back in the late 70s, still gives us something to think about and something to feel even all these years later. Your lyrics are endearing. I mean, was was that a conscious effort? Well, thanks. I, you know, I had a, a real high bar. I wanted to try to live up to my music heroes, you know, Haggard and Willie and Waylon and Henley and Fry and, you know, Lennon McCartney and James Taylor and Buffett, you know, all of the great music I grew up with set the standard for me. And uh, I didn't want to write songs that, uh, you know, worked okay or got there or became a hit. I wanted, I wanted for those musical heroes of mine if they ever looked over to say yeah, that's pretty good you know well, i did good with that you know I, I i got to meet and work with some of those artists and to have any respect from them that's the dream that's the dream is to rise up and join them in some capacity and also clint knowing that those songs do they still pass the test of time. I mean, years later, e even songs like "Till the End of Time," all your songs seem to teach us something. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing that's on purpose too, huh? Well, I'm a, a student of uh, human behavior. Uh, you know, I dropped out of high school. I was a terrible student. A year later, I realized what a mistake it was, and and how much I wish I'd uh, worked uh, in school. So I began self-educating. I began trying to learn what I refused to learn when they were trying to teach it to me. And so uh, part of that is a lot of nonfiction, and you, you learn through other people's lives. You learn things. You gain some wisdom. And uh, 
And so all of that has to come out. And also, I'm, I wasn't always trying to write. I, I believed I had to go out and live in order to fill the well back up. So you don't go to the well unless there's, there's water in it. And uh, I had to go out and get the water. And I think that's affected the way you look at life. I mean, some celebrities, you, know, you look at them and they're almost like aliens from another planet. And other celebrities, they're kind of like the guy next door. And, and that's the way you come across. You come across more as if you are one of us. There's that faking it thing again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I grew I was a construction worker. My dad was a construction worker. My brothers were construction workers. Uh, I sold newspaper subscriptions door-to-door for the Houston Post from the time I was 14 until I was 18. And uh, all my friends would hear me sing and say, you know, you're going to be a big star. And then they'd say, don't let it ruin you. So, you know, it was a good training ground, but those cautions, you know, really stuck with me. I, I was afraid to be ruined. And so... I, I watched myself, and I paid attention to how I looked at myself, and I have to just sort of make sure my hat always fits. You know, those are the those are the things that really helped you gain such an amazing seat right in the front row of the arena of life. You know, for, for all that you've been through and all that you've experienced, what can we learn? What can we learn from what you've been through? Well, if you know all the, the details, you know, what, what you would learn is uh, just work hard, perseverance. You make your own luck. But for me, I want to do the work. I don't want to just be successful. I want to do the work. The work is where the joy is. And uh, there's a great quote that the muse will find you, but it must find you working. So I believe I can continue to do good work, but it takes a lot of drive. You know, if you if music is your hobby, then maybe you're, you know, in the wrong business. It's, it's got to you've got to work at it. What do you think about Clint? What what would you? What is your what's next? What would you like to do next? Ah, oh, that's a that's a great question. You know, I'm doing I'm doing so much right now. I'm about seventy city tour a year, and uh, the TV show I started. Uh, FlintBlackCoffee.com. You can get the best and freshest coffee at that website. You know, seriously, uh, great coffee. Um, you know, and then I have a few other things that people entice me with that may or may not ever happen. But there's always something somebody gets in their mind that I should do, and then I just I weigh it out and see if it if it's meant to be. There's still plenty to do to uh, enjoy a, a creative life. So there are things on the horizon I don't want to talk about because they're not real yet. But uh, my main goal is just to, to be able to keep working, playing in a band, getting better uh, with my instruments. And loving life all the way through, that seems to be the biggest thing. I mean, you, you, have, you have the trait of curiosity, and I think that's the thing that keeps us all active that keeps us moving forward and looking looking to the future instead of just riding on the past. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I always uh, joke that, you know, I'm really not that interested in other people, but the really I am. I mean, other people, is, you know, you, you learn things. It's the other people in your life that, that bring you, enrich you, 
And, uh, and, and then the, the other part of it is just, you know, I'm 61 now. I keep learning things. So it keeps making me think, you know, wow, what, what else can I know? <laughs> it's, uh, it's fun to know things. It really is, and we never, ever stop learning. And and that's what we love about you, Clint. You keep creating. You keep surprising us. You keep coming with, with more and more interesting things. We want to wish you and your family all the luck in the world, and we're going to keep an eye on you as you head out on tour, and you bring us even more interesting conversations with some really cool people on Talking Circles on Circle TV. And you know what? I, I think I'd like a cup of Clint Black coffee myself. Really enjoyed the time with you, Clint. Much luck in the future. Well, thanks, Bill. Enjoyed it myself. Thank you. I know I'm leaving here better man. Up next, we'll meet the greatest female athlete alive today, over the age of 85. It's the ageless Flo Myler, next on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder, provided by Caring Transitions, a senior move resource to help families ease the stress of life's transitions, offering relocation, home cleanouts, and the resale of everyday household items. Locations near you at CaringTransitions.com. This is Growing Boulder. I'm Mark Middleton, and you're about to find out why people say that it is never too late. I mean, folks, it's never too late. Our next guest is 88-year-old Flo Myler, a name you might want to remember because Flo is considered not just the greatest female athlete alive today over 85, she's probably the greatest female athlete over 85 that has ever lived. And she didn't participate in her first track and field meet until she was 59 years old. Since then, she's won over 800 medals. She is having a blast, and she is a true inspiration. You obviously enjoy this. You like to win. I can hear the competitive nature in you. Are you as competitive at 88 as you were when you were 28? <laughs> oh, I think so. I think so. <laughs> what, do you, what, do you, what do you get out of it? Why do you do it? Other than, and, and I, I, as much as you seem to enjoy the recognition, I'm guessing that that alone isn't nearly enough for you. To- oh, no. I, I feel so good when I inspire other people. You don't know how many uh, seniors have come up to me and say, you are such an inspiration. You've gotten me off the couch. That is the best feeling for me that I've helped uh, these seniors get active. And let me take a guess here, Flo. I imagine it's not just seniors who come up to you and say that. I imagine that it's 20 and 30 and 40 and 50-year-old women as well who say, you have shown me something I've never even thought possible. You're inspiring women of all ages. Uh, I have to tell you that. Oh, I think I am. I, I in the wintertime, I train with the students at the University of Vermont, and they have been so nice to me. And I, and I think they look really look up to me as, as, as to how hard I work 
and then they let me uh, jump in and uh, do it if I need to do a few pole vault. They're so nice, they let me jump in so I can get some practice. So the students, uh, I've been a, a real example to them also. The fact that you work out with younger people there in Vermont, you know, intergenerational connectivity seems to be so important for us. Uh, And then your workout in general. So talk to us, first of all, uh, about hanging out with younger people, because track and field kind of enables that for you. It gives you a reason not just to superficially be involved, but to actually be involved with younger people. What does that do for you? It makes me feel young. (laughs) That's for sure. Well, you know, it, it, it dates way back when uh, Barbara Jordan was, was here. I, unfortunately, she passed away uh, five years ago of breast cancer. And I, I attribute my success really to, for her to, to recruit me because we were, we were fantastic training together. And, uh, of course, she was teaching a senior fitness course at the time when she recruited me at the university and when she would get done teaching then we would train together at the university and that's where uh, we got to to make very uh, many many friends with the staff and with the the teachers too the the professors so they they got to know us quite well and it it was more like a like a friendly uh, uh, family uh, at the university they've always been really nice to me you know, at Growing Boulder, we, we encourage everybody to get off the couch, just like you do, and get moving. Uh, we also tell them that it's not necessarily important if you win, if you take a gold medal, if you set a record. The important thing is just to get going. That said, Flo Myler, I think it's important for people to understand that if you're going to be as successful as you are, it doesn't come easily. I mean, you don't just show up and win. You put in the work. So talk to us about your training regime. Okay, I train six days a week on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. I do track, and then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I will do weights and then um, doubles tennis with the ladies. And on, on Saturday, sometimes I'll change my routine. <laughs> I will go climbing. Um, mountain. We go to um, the Charlotte and climb a mountain there, and or we will go do some uh, running, long distance running, something that's different than what you're doing during the week. Doing something that's different, that's a mouthful when it describes what you do. Uh, because most people that compete in track and field, they're sprinters, they're middle distance runners, you know, they're, they're the weight events, they throw the shot put and the, and, the, and the discus like you do, or they're jumpers. You do all of that. And, and I'm curious, Flo, does it make you more susceptible to injury because you're constantly doing things different or less susceptible because you're not overusing any particular range of motion? I think I was very successful in not getting injured until this past year. <laughs> really. What I, happened? I've been, I've been so, so fortunate. But this past year, I guess all of a sudden I probably was overtraining, and I, I did injure my bicep, and uh, I had to get a, a cortisone shot before I went to my meet. <laughs> and then when I got back, I continued with uh, therapy with what they call uh, dry needle treatment, and I've had uh, three weeks of that, and now I'm fine. I'm back to serving and uh, going to try my pole tomorrow. Well, I mean, it's it's a 
great and important conversation because avoiding injury to me is the holy grail as you age and you compete in sports because an injury will set you back at the very least it can derail you forever if you allow it to so uh how do you avoid injury this this year aside i i know you're a a big advocate of stretching is that one of the keys yeah uh well back to the um uh, senior games in Albuquerque, uh, New Mexico. Um, I got a hamstring, a really bad hamstring uh, uh, injury, just about three weeks before. And again, I went to my therapist, and she she did that dry needle treatment, which is wonders. I really recommend it. But after that, I really uh, decided that I had to do more stretching at an older age. So before I leave the house, I do. Um, some um, stretching for about 15 minutes, which I didn't do before. And then when I get to the gym or uh, if it's nice weather at the track, I do another 15 minutes of warm-up exercises before I do any other events. I've got video here in my office of the, I don't know whether it was the 60-meter or the 100-meter dash at the National Senior Games in Fort Lauderdale. And it was a dogfight between you and a woman named Tiny Cazell, who we we know from here in Central Florida. You got her at the end. And um, there was a smile on your face. Oh, I couldn't believe I'd beat her because she's four years younger than I am, and she's usually way ahead. (laughs) And you you usually don't have competition, so you do like it when someone steps up there and challenges you. It's much more challenging, and you try harder, too. Uh, but let, let's take this outside of the context of just track and field. I, I get that track and field is a big part of your life as well. It should be. But as you mentioned, you hang out with younger people. You play tennis with your friends. What's the moral? I mean, if we were writing the Flo Myler story, what's the moral of the story? What's the takeaway? I mean, what do you have that more of us need to have? What can you tell us about a life? I have a few descriptions here. Uh, motivation is what gets you started. Habit is what keeps you going. Setting new records really keeps me motivated. Are these are these Flo Myler originals? Yeah. Motivation gets you started, and habit keeps you going. All right, we're gonna yep. make a we're gonna make a, a meme out of that, and we're going to post it online, and we will give you credit for it. Flo Myler. Before I forget, my husband is my high, the the biggest fan I have ever had. He is so proud of me. He has put together uh, over 16 albums of my uh, TV interviews, press <laughs> releases, and all my presentations. He started in 1990 when I started, and I really want to thank him so much for what he did for me. That's sweet. That's kind. What does he do other than try to keep up with you? Do you get him off the couch? Does he get out there and do anything? Right now, his knees are are giving away. You know, it's only been a couple years now that he hasn't been that we haven't been able to do our ballroom dancing. We used to be we used to dance all the time. We we knew every dance there was. <laughs> and what do the grandkids and the great grandkids uh, think of the uh, pole vaulting granny? Oh, I, sometimes I think they wonder if there's something wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, they're very proud of me. And I and I motivate them to get off the couch too. So, so you motivate so many. Yeah. Who who motivates you? I think this is something that makes what you're doing, you know, extra special, because there's generations of women behind you who who see you and a few others 
kind of like you, not not you, but a few others in your age group. And, and there'll be more in five years and 10 years and 20 years because of the example that you're setting. But you haven't had the benefit of that. Is, is there somebody that inspires you? What do you draw inspiration from to know that more is possible? Um, well, it, I, I date back to when I started in, uh, you know, uh, with Barbara Jordan, uh, it's about approximately 30 years ago. I mean, you know, somebody comes up to you and says, uh, you know, we're desperate for track people. Uh, I would like you to come and try to long jump. And when you're thinking, you know, here I am 60 years old and she wants me to do the long jump. So Barbara Jordan was my, my inspiration, believe me. And you're still getting inspiration from that. How long do you think you'll keep doing this? I mean, we did an interview, uh, and I know you know who she is, probably know her well. We did an interview with Olga Kotelko yes. uh, before her death. She, I think she was 93 at the right. time, and, uh-huh. and, and yeah. it was just, just amazing. Will you keep going into your 90s? Oh, yes. I mean, if the good Lord wants me to <laughs> to compete and be happy, and I will continue as long as I can. You're on a mission. You know, it's great. It's, it's, it's wonderful that you are so self-motivated, so inspired, so excited by your own success. But, but beyond that, it, it's, to me, it's such a bigger story, you know, the Flo Myler story. The Flo Myler story is about changing the, the culture of aging. I have it, a motto. What is, what is the motto? Never too late. Never too late. That's a good one. So, so what? What is it not too late for? What's left undone? I think there are there any events left. I mean, I read that you do the steeplechase. I look at what you do and I think, okay, Flo's a sprinter. I get that. You know, she does the sixty and the hundred. She does the hurdles. She does you know the the strength events, the speed events. And then I read that you destroy the record in the steeplechase, which is what over two thousand meters, jumping on top of all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, I was the first old lady that did the uh, hurdle, the re- what do they call the hurdle, reversal hurdle, or it was at the U.S. Masters, and they needed a, f- a fifth person, and uh, so I, I finally agreed, and I and all the other gals were in their 60s, and here I was in my 88, and then they all they all applauded me, and uh, they and then uh, the uh, one of the of uh, the officials. Had a friend make a a miniature hurdle and a miniature um, starting blocks to 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 thank me for for doing the the hurdles. <laughs> uh, have you had your workout today yet, Flo? Um, no, I I went to PT today. PT today. But I I played ten. I did weights and uh, played tennis yesterday. Flo Myler, I love talking to you. And folks, I, I I hope that it's not just the context of the conversation that we're having. But just the passion, the energy, the vibrancy of of this conversation. This is an 88-year-old woman who I would wager is more engaged in life, more enthused about life than 99% of the population out there of any age. And we're not trying to pretend or make you believe that she does not have a lot of challenges that come with being 88 years old. It's just that she leans into those challenges. She overcomes those challenges. She battles back and she finds a way to extract excitement, joy, fun out of her life. Is that right, Flo? Yeah, I never give up because when I I had this injury four weeks ago on my tricep and uh, 
you know, right away I went to to my PT gal and uh, started doing the proper thing. And I'm now I'm almost back into tough shape. That was 88-year-old Flo Myler leaning into challenges and celebrating her victories. She may very well be the winningest athlete in all of Master Sports over the last 30 years, giving us all reason to believe that it is never too late. All right, up next, meet one of the last living survivors of the attack on Pearl Harbor. And at 102 years old, find out how he's using new technology today to make his life that much better. That's next on Growing Boulder. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is Growing Boulder. Sure seems like there have been a lot of changes lately, and I'm talking about changes in the way we live, what we think, and what we view as normal. Do you ever think about that, too? Here's what I'm talking about. Perfect example. We're about to meet an amazing guy. He's a Pearl Harbor survivor not many left who were actually there, named Ed McClavick. He was born in 1920. So when he was born, get this, and compare it to your life and the things that we take for granted these days, when he was born, only one out of 13 families even owned a car. Only one out of three had electricity. And there were five five total radio stations in the entire country. Think about the changes Ed McClavick has seen because he is joining us now via the internet from Milwaukee. Ed, what in the world do you think of all of the changes that you've seen? We didn't even have running water when I was born. We never had a bathroom or shower or or tub or anything. You had a huge family. There were 12 of you with your mom and dad, you must have lived in a gigantic house. (laughs) Three bedrooms. What? (laughs) Three bedrooms? How did you do that? It wasn't wasn't easy. All the boys in one and all the girls in the other one and the parents in the other one. Then Then we had to use the dining room, too. Man, so you're you're about to turn 103. I'm going to be 103 next month. Next month, what are you going to do for you? What do you want for your birthday? We got to buy you a present. What do you want us to get you? <laughs> Don't buy me a present. I'm going to have a birthday party with all my old neighbors here in Milwaukee. Oh man, I bet you're a pretty popular guy there, huh? I yeah, I have friends all over the country. Yeah. How great is that? Uh, what do you remember, Ed, when you think back? What are some of the best memories of your childhood? Oh, childhood was tough because we were in depression. I have to admit, I never owned a bicycle, a wagon, roller skates, ice skates, or any of those present day things that the kids have. Oh, man. Do you think there was something that that we've lost as a society from not using our creativity we, we've kind of lost that these days haven't we we have we have yeah 
I'm trying to put myself in your shoes back when you were a teenager. Germany started taking over the world. America started gearing up for war. You must have really struggled to decide whether or not you wanted to enlist. I really, I really didn't give much of a thought at the time until my brother asked me to take him to the post office to enlist. So while we're leaving the uh, uh, recruiter's office, he said to me, how about you? Well, I went back and I signed up. And I, <laughs> it was 10 o'clock in the morning, and at 2 o'clock I left town and didn't come back for four years. You're kidding. It was a spur-of-the-moment decision to enlist, and then four hours later you're on your way? And yeah, and I was gone for four years. I had to, I had to go. The recruiter said, "Go home and say goodbye to your parents and come back here at, at two o'clock." So I came back at two o'clock, and away I went. What did your parents say? Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So Ed, I wonder if you know if we really understood the gravity of what you were getting involved in. You, I know you went for training, and then you get assigned to, like you said, Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. You must have been thinking, Hawaii, this army thing is great. I, I'm not quite sure of that, but it was. So when you when you were at Pearl Harbor, what were your duties? I know you were in the Army Air Corps. Were you a pilot? Were you a mechanic? What did you do? I was I was an armor. I armed the fighter planes, bombs and ammunition, rockets and whatnot. So tell us, I know you've been asked this a million times, but what happened to you on December seventh? We had our planes out and on bivouac and in the field and all stationed all over the airfield. And on Saturday before Sunday, December seventh, we brought them in and parked them all together and to protect them from the civilian population of Japanese on the island, not the ones that came from the air. So we lost them all, 150 airplanes. How did that change you, Ed? And how did it make you become a different person? Well, it makes you depend on one another in the service. And, and, and we did that. And we, 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 we were not trained for war, but we got trained very quickly. We went from uh, Wheeler Field bombing uh, to Kaneohe Air Base. To, and I was on about 10 airfields before I ever, ever came back, including Midway, including Iwo Jima. What, what was your role at Iwo Jima? We we were to support the Marines, and we were to get on to the first airfield four days after the Marines landed. But the Marines didn't make a, a, get a foothold, so it took nine days before we come on the air, airfield. And I was in charge of setting up the squadron operation. Uh, our planes were at, at Guam, and I was in charge of setting up the operation for when the planes come in. We were in Foxhole for eight weeks, two-man Foxhole for eight weeks. It was a tough mission we had. We also had ration food. We only had uh, biscuits and uh, hardtack, whatever, and, and one canteen of water a day. 
So when when you finally came back home after the war had ended, how was Ed McClavick different than that 17-year-old kid who, on the spur of the moment, enlisted? I, I, I guess we have to say I grew up quick. <laughs> I had no... I had the ability to to work with people, and that's what I did. In the service, I became a master sergeant in charge of 50, and when I came out, I went into the elevator business and it did the same thing. Do you, do you think, Ed, do you think of that, man, your life easily could have ended at 22, and now here you are at 102? <laughs> yeah, it could end. Yeah, and I figured on being the last survivor. What do we need to remember that we're in danger of forgetting? What lessons? I think the biggest lesson we we should we should start being friendly to one another. We should have the patience to work with people. All my life and every place I work, I worked in uh, four or five different major cities. And I dedicated myself to help people. I did. I did all kind of. I did maintenance on, all for free, with the condition that whoever I did it for would do it for somebody else. That's beautiful, Ed. That that really is what life is about, isn't it? Is making a difference in the life of somebody else. And you figured that out pretty early on, didn't you? I did. Yeah. And I lived that way, yeah. All, and all my neighborhoods, I put in air conditioners, whole house air conditioners, I put in all water heaters and whatnot. Let, let me talk for a minute about you, Ed. You have been a pretty active guy all your life. What do you What do you do these days? Are you still active? Do you love? I know that you like golf. Do you still play? I played. I played golf five days a week until I won 100. And then then I kind of pooped out a little bit. And then I, I, well, for about 25 or 30 years, I was teaching, all playing golf and teaching also. So I was instructing, especially older people, on how to golf. Ed, you're 102. There are no older people. <laughs> At the time. At the time I was instructed, I didn't want to mold it. <laughs> it must have been. <laughs> You've got an amazing sense of humor. You're so fun to talk to. What What do you do these days? What do you do these days? Well, I kind of, I'm in a, a assisted living uh, uh, whole, uh, apartment. And I've served all my meals and, and we just have, uh, we're just, we're here to die. We, we're 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 in step to, to to get to the to the final final day final day of our life. What do you think about that, Ed? Do you think about death? We talk about it. What what do you talk about? What what is the conversation usually? I mean, is it fear? Is it uh, you know? What do you talk about? We talk about the good time. We talk about uh, what we can do and uh, help each other a lot. Well, what we love about you is that you're willing to have these conversations with us so we can learn from you. You, Your life has been an amazing journey, and there's so much that we can learn from you. What, what, what else do we need to hang on to? 
I have a great love for my neighbors, and that's what I always worked on. And we 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 always we always work together. That's fantastic, and it was kind. This is kind of unexpected. I didn't think the conversation would would go this way. But you have such great insight as to what really counts in life. And you mentioned that you're in an assistant living center, a beautiful place. But one big problem that all of us face as we age is loneliness. Well, that's the advantage of being here. I talk to my family. Three, four times a day off of Grandpad. Grandpad? What, what's that? <laughs> That's the, great, the greatest invention since Carter made pills. So this is a guy, we're to, folks, we're talking to a guy who didn't have running water in his house, who slept with his 12 brothers and sisters in three rooms, and you're telling us that you are savvy enough on the internet that you can call your relatives and have video calls on your grandpad device? Uh, that That's the only device I have. All my kids have computers. All of them communicate with me all the time. So were you intimidated at first by technology? Because so many of us, as we get older, man, I don't want to learn about some new gadget. This one is, it gives me a nice life. I can do many things and see many things. The fact that I can face-to-face, number one, I can laugh and tell jokes. They can tell me jokes. They can give me their their, their stories about how, how they're living and stuff and how, how, how the world is changing. I have four children and, and two boys and two girls. And the two girls are Democrats and the two boys are Republicans. <laughs> You're an equal opportunity family. I bet you have some exciting Thanksgiving dinners. <laughs> <laughs> little fight, little fight, little feisty fights. So you don't smoke anymore. I guess you don't drink too much. What do you do for fun? <laughs> Chase women. <laughs> Chase women. That's interesting. And I guess I guess you must like younger women because there aren't many older. They're the daughter in their eighties, and there's two of them that I get. I, I every day I I drop off chocolate by a candy. Oh, so you're a romantic still? Yeah, they like to they like to see me coming. Oh, how great is that? I bet you love to make people smile. I think that keeps me alive. Wow, and feeling good. Well, let's. I guess we may as well start to wrap up here, Ed. Is there? Is there anything, what, what would you, what do you want to leave us with? What do you hope we tell people about you in this uh, interview? I'm a happy person at 102. And I live, I live, I'm living, hoping to live to 110. And I cannot tell you how grateful we are to you for giving us this chance to learn from you, not just now, but you know what? We'll be able to watch this and share it with everyone who's interested in learning from someone like you, Ed, whose life has truly been an incredible journey from Pearl Harbor survivor to Iwo Jima to ups and downs in an elevator to true family man. That is the life of Ed McClavick. Ed, you are one in a million, my friend. I hope we do this again and again and again. Okay. Bye, Bill. Bye-bye.
Between technology, exercise, and creativity, we've had a lot to think about so far. And we're not done yet. When we come back, we'll find out what's on Mark Middleton's mind. This is Growing Boulder. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingbolder.com slash podcasts. This is Growing Boulder, one of the only shows anywhere that explores the issues and challenges that face every one of us as we age. And folks, nobody dives into as many fascinating and thought-provoking topics, which is why we like to highlight something of interest at the end of every show. So, Mark, this week for this episode, what's on your mind? I'm thinking about Florida, Bill. Of course, the Growing Boulder message, the Growing Boulder ethos is important to people nationally and globally. But I spoke to a group of Florida mayors recently. What I talked to them about was the aging population here in Florida. In fact, for the first time since 1957, Florida is now the fastest-growing state in the nation. And we have the highest percentage of adults 65 plus. 21 percent of the entire Florida population is now considered elderly. And of course, the the issues that all Florida cities face are exacerbated by an aging population who feel these issues disproportionately. Climate change, affordable housing, all of these things affect older adults. Uh, And here's the thing. 70% of those 65 and older nationwide will require long-term care, and 37% have no retirement savings whatsoever. Uh, And at the same time, there is this widening care gap. There's more people that require care as they age, and there's fewer people to take care of them. Demographics are, are, are what they are. There's fewer younger people. Families are now segmented. They're moving apart. Older adults are divorced. Uh, They don't have as many kids to take care of them. So it's a huge and growing population. And I think the takeaway from all of this is that we all have to lean into taking care of ourselves, something we talk about each and every day. We have got to modify our lifestyle so that our health span matches our lifespan. We don't need care as much as most people do now. So when you stereotypically think about Florida back in the 50s or 60s, you thought about like people living in a high rise and not doing anything but going down to the restaurant or the beach. But it's a lot different now for people who are over 65. Yeah. And, you know, we have this reputation for being the state where people come to retire and have a great time. And yes, that is happening, but not for everybody. There is this onslaught of frail elderly that is challenging all of our cities, all of our counties, and all of our states. And we're the ones that have to do something about it ourselves. We always ask this question, Bill, who is your primary care provider? You are, folks. Get with it. And to a degree, we do have a say in how we age. doesn't always work out that way, but you increase your odds for a great end when you are an active participant in your health as you age. Mark, another great segment, folks. We really appreciate you being here. Get out there and start growing bolder, and we'll see you back here soon. 